Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. This week, you're listening to the special segment of Charlie's Corner, hosted by our very own Charlie Venus. Welcome to today's podcast. Today, we're talking to Dee and Connor Peterson of the Keith D. Peterson Agency in Shreveport, Louisiana. And we've asked them to join us specifically to discuss their forest and wood products division, as this is now accessible to all Iroquois members. Dee is executive vice president of, of the agency and is manager of their forest products division. And Connor is involved in sales, marketing, and in managing 1,200 insurance agents and brokers countrywide that go to KDP for their forest and wood products insurance needs. Welcome to you both. Thank you. We're glad to be here. So, Dee, when did KDP start writing wood and forest products? Actually, uh, my father started writing wood and forest products in 1939. He came down here from Kansas City as an employee of the Atlas Mutual Insurance Company and the Fidelity Underwriting Agency and focused on and specialized in sawmills in Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, and Mississippi. Started that in 1939 incorporated Keith D. Peterson and Company with his brother, Ed, in 1946. Oh, so you guys have been around for quite some time. So you started off as an independent agency, and I take it you've been doing this for quite some time, and you were doing the forest and wood products. How did you expand to where you are today as being a wholesaler to other independent agents for forest and wood products insurance. When my father started the business, he dealt primarily on a direct basis with sawmillers whom he came to know through traveling in the forest state area. There weren't that many carriers then specializing in sawmills. Among the three were Atlas Mutual Insurance Company, which my father represented, uh, LUA, and Indiana Lumberman's. There may have been a few others out there, but those were the primary three and didn't work on any logging risk. It was all sawmilling and and ancillary and related businesses. And then as we evolved, we started writing more recently logging accounts. Before that time, primarily after, I'd say, mid-70s, we found ourselves writing insurance on furniture mills, on on anything related to wood, whether it be a paddle manufacturer or furniture plant starting with the secondary manufacturing process and ending with the finished product. And when did you decide to start your wholesale operation? We started the wholesale operation in the 60s, actually. Through our travels, we came to know a lot of independent agents who needed help in putting sawmill accounts together. And our evolution, as the number of accounts grew and as interest in our product grew, we evolved more from writing insurance directly to and writing to to writing insurance through brokers, through independent agents. So I'm looking now at uh, all the types of risks that you currently insure, which go from logging and lumber mills and lumber yards and wood processing to mobile home manufacturing, pallet manufacturing, uh, plywood manufacturing, wood furniture manufacturing. What's the percentage now of sawmills versus a lot of these other types of risk? I'd say the percentage of sawmills is probably 35 to 40 percent, less than 50. And then the other risk would be the balance. And of the other, I'd say about maybe 10 percent would be logging. And how many carriers do you represent? And, And do you act as the underwriting manager for any or all of the carriers? The carriers can be seen on our website, keithdpeterson.com. And in terms of numbers, I couldn't give you that right now, but uh, 
They're all A-rated carriers, and among those that we represent, depending on the size of the account, depending on the protection afforded, Hanover Specialty, Travelers, Pennsylvania Lumber Mutual, Berkshire Hathaway, Watford Insurance Company, Hartford Insurance Company, Chubb, a number of others. We got our start, in essence, being the company and bringing other carriers online to round out lines with the Atlas Mutual Insurance Company. In the early 70s, we purchased the Atlas Mutual Book of Business and became MGAs for Crum and Forster. And we focused on putting wood accounts together for Crum and Forster. And we accessed other companies to write the casually because at that time, Crum and Forster was only in property and also to round out the line if the line was actually too large for Crum and Forster to handle. We moved on to being MGAs for several other companies. And as the situation evolved around, around 2012, after the, well after the 2008 financial crisis, we decided that we were really better off not being an MGA or MGU for one company, but rather representing a multitude of companies, thereby being able to really meet the needs of our insureds better. We found that with being focused on one company, we were naturally directed to place the bulk of our business with that company. And even those good carrier and we did all the underwriting for them, they might not have been able to do what a number of other companies could do. We found we could do a better job for our brokers and insureds by changing our business model in that way. Well, and let me get, get Connor in here, you know, just based on what Dee just said, what's the expertise that KDP bring to the table? And why should other agents and brokers come to you instead of another wholesale broker? The main reason for that would be the fact that we've been in this for a really long time and have seen everything. It's really easy to look at things on a rubric on paper to say like, oh, well, just because this checks these boxes, then this makes it a, a top rated risk without really being able to explore the subtle nuances of each one. Just because something on paper looks like it's perfect doesn't mean that it's going to perform that well just because they may not have the experience or the mentality that, you know, a fourth generation sawmiller may have. And so, you know, knowing the region, knowing how sawmills are constructed in different areas of the country, knowing the history of each mill, knowing the people who are operating it, it really paints the picture of whether or not it's a risk that's worth writing. The way that they are constructed very dramatically across the country, but the mentality for somebody who really wants to survive in this industry is the same. And, you know, they're people who are salt of the earth and you won't find better people, but, you know, they're in it for the long run. They're not in it for making a, a quick buck. And you will definitely see the difference in the quality of sawmills between those two different mentalities. And somebody who has a whole lot of money to invest and can build a hundred million dollar mill once it gets going and, and you see how it's performing, you know, you may start to recognize that there are going to be more hazards involved in something like this than somebody who hand built their carriage, you know, or rebuilt it from something that their father, their grandfather made, you know, 30 years ago in a mill that was constructed in the 60s. Being able to look at those kinds of differences and not just being able to look at how it is described on paper is what we bring to the table. Now, what kind of problems are you typically solving for the agents that are coming to you, you know, in particular from a coverage standpoint? Well, what you've got is 
there are a lot of carriers over the past 10 years, uh, actually longer than that, who see money being made in this industry from an insurance standpoint, move in, offer to write the coverage at reduced rates, and then catch some losses in excess of $1 million, $5 million, $10 million, and realize that they haven't got the stay in power and, and they bit off a lot more than they can chew. And so one of the things we do, we vet these carriers and, and have a pretty good idea who, who's going to make it for the long haul. Although some of those who were in it for the long haul, like the LUA, Lumberman's Underwriting Alliance, are, are no longer around. So one of the things that we do, we've got a good feel for the carriers in the business. We've got a good feel for what constitutes a good mill. We send out to our brokers a separate flyer showing them how to basically vet these mills and what to look for. Someone will tell you that a mill is all steel when it might be frame metal clad and look at the differences in these mills, some of which are really not so subtle, and then some of them are pretty subtle. You look at the carriages that go in a mill, whether it's a hydraulic shotgun, which you don't see that often, versus uh, electrically driven carriage, which is more common than the shotgun, and you see which lends itself to better housekeeping and to a greater degree of survivability. Is it property, the driving line for most of the business you write, both on the on the processing side, like with the sawmills, as well as for the manufacturing side? Connor, why don't you respond to that? It's a combination. I mean, kind of like when you're looking at a work comp type risk, and you always have to worry about frequency versus severity. With sawmills, casualty can tell you a lot about the property, actually, because if you see some people are getting injured on the job and stuff like that, or if accidents are happening, that's a, a huge teller for the direction that the mill is heading. And just because they haven't necessarily suffered a significant property loss yet, if you continue to see smaller casualty claims or auto claims for that matter, there is a uh, an issue with the mentality of the operators of that mill, and it's a time bomb. I think those two things go hand in hand. Well, yeah, that's a great observation, Connor, because uh, early in my career, Worked as a loss control consultant and loss control manager for the Hartford. And the philosophy there was that was all about operations control. And when you saw losses in other parts of the business, they couldn't have been, they may not have been insurance losses, but just manufacturing losses because the process wasn't working correctly. You know, it just gave you a good indication of the type of management you had of those facilities and you wanted to stay away from those because they just were not very well controlled. What states are you primarily writing in and what states don't you do business in? Before we answer that, can I go back to a question you asked earlier? Oh, absolutely. One of the things that we have emphasized in the past and we continue to emphasize, we find this more and more important and more and more appreciated, is just basic service. Returning phone calls, rapid response time. Uh, One of the companies that, that I came across early on in the 70s primarily was F.W. Williams in Mississippi. They primarily uh, worked worked with the USF&G, and they did a great job for Mississippi agents. And I talked to Mississippi brokers, and they all said, I don't want to endanger my relationship with F.W. Williams. These guys just do too good a job, and they'll get back to me in a week, uh, within a week, always, when I have questions for them. And one of the things we've always tried to do is use that same philosophy. If somebody calls us, we make every attempt to get back to them very, very quickly, hopefully that day. They send a submission. We get back to them just as soon as we can. We ask for a little bit of lead time, but let's just say, for example, someone sends us a submission on June 1 or, a, or an August 1 account. We'll start working it immediately. We won't wait till mid-July. 
And if we get a response from the carriers we represent by mid-July or by mid-June, we'll tell them. We pride ourselves on, on very good service, very good response time. And I would like to think that when you talk to most of the brokers we work with, they would say, yes, that's one thing they do well. Oh, well, thanks for that, Dee. But I, I wanted to jump in and add that point before we got on to your question about states. And with respect to that question, we have always written primarily in the Southeast and the South and Mid-Atlantic states. We've also, over the past five years, really begun to write a lot in, the, in Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, that area, the Midwest. We do write mills in states outside that area, and there's no constraint to speak of in writing those mills. It's just that we're more familiar uh, with mills and furniture plants and lumber risks in, say, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, North and South Carolina, Indiana, that area. We're most active in about 26 states, but that is not to dissuade anyone in Montana, for example, from sending us a risk. Now, I know you didn't mention that you know you do a lot of business out west or in the Pacific Northwest, but I do have a question, and that is when you look at all the wildfires that have gone on this year in the past couple of years, what kind of impact has that had on the property market with your carriers and the reinsurance market too, for that matter? It's had a huge impact across the board and not just the wildfires. Of course, every year for the past three years, each year has been the worst year California has ever suffered. And lo and behold, uh, in 2021, they're looking at another one. It'll probably be the same thing next year, be worse than 2021 or years prior. It's just disheartening, amazing, and, and frankly, very scary. The, there was a lot of capacity in the reinsurance market up until about three years ago. But then when you look at the wildfires, you look at the hurricanes, you look at the floods, all those catastrophes, many of which had not been anticipated, it finally had a real huge impact in the industry, along with some very, very big fires. For example, the uh, uh, Lumberman's Underwriting Alliance, which was a top-notch company, caught a lot of real bad losses in British Columbia and elsewhere in Canada on some very large mills. And all that has taken a toll on the reinsurance side. So finally, with respect to sawmills and lumber accounts, reinsurers in London don't view them as favorably as they used to. You're seeing a lot more facultative reinsurance purchase than was the case before, and that's driven the, driven the rates up. And it, it, to answer your question, all of that combined has had a huge impact on the reinsurance market and a huge impact on the basic rates that lumber accounts have to pay. What are some of the typical or like the max insured values that you can find in the marketplace, the total insured values for a property account? It's across the board. As far as the size accounts we might see? Yes. Most of the accounts we see are between, uh, say, $1 and $20 million. We see if you run a limits profile, you will see us writing insurance on several accounts, well over $100 million, and some almost up to a billion dollars. But that that's not common. Uh, that That is not what you normally see. I would assume that those would have a reasonable spread of risk. Yes. So that, that you know, there wouldn't be where multiple locations could be impacted by one natural disaster like a wildfire. And also when you get up into values like that, I mean, really high values, usually they're sprinkled. Uh, there's usually a good spread of risk. Of course, one of the things that, that's happened in those which, in particular, those which are not sprinkled and those which don't have a good spread of risk, they've seen some horrendous rate increases because the market's changed. 
because getting reinsurance for those accounts is much more difficult than used to be the case. You might have a mill, say, with exposure of, uh, of say, $50 million, and you end up writing that account with a $30 million loss limit because if all that $50 million is in the PML, then you're looking at uh, a real big tag for insurance that was not the case, say, five years ago. What are you seeing in terms of the loss control services that carriers are providing to these clients, and in particular, help in improving their fire protection? I would say first and foremost is thermographic scans. First off, I, I don't think thermographic scans are, the actual machines are very expensive nowadays, so I would recommend mill owners to go out and get them. Underwriting is going to require an official thermographic report about every other year. That's probably the first and foremost thing that I would say is. Yeah, and, and welding guidelines. Oh, and welding guidelines as well. So hot works permits, hot works program, having that really spelled out and followed vigorously is huge. Electrical fires and accidents from welding are probably the most prominent cause of loss. So far, we've talked primarily about property risk in, in terms of what you're writing. Again, going back to the, the different manufacturers you write, and I go back to, you know, failures from years ago. You know, years ago, we had failures from fire retardant plywood used in uh, residential construction where it just deteriorated and collapsed. There were a lot of class action lawsuits for that. But one of the things that, that's happening now that, that just about anyone will tell you is insuring a log truck is just so painful for many of the buyers right now that some of them are, are just shutting down and not running because they're paying $19,000 a unit, whereas a few years ago, it might have been $3,500 a unit. Finding a company to write that and then finding it at a price you can afford is very, very difficult right now. And I think you're seeing that just in the auto market in general for anybody that's hauling goods. Are you seeing any new entrants into the marketplace to, to pick up that auto exposure? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I'm sure there's some out there that are looking at it because with the rates being charged right now, I think, I think one could safely say that it's going to move from uh, unprofitability to profitability. And these prices won't hold, these really high prices, $19,000 a unit, for example, are not going to hold that long. So there's always someone coming in, but we haven't seen any new entrants lately. We saw a lot more a few years ago than is the case right now. But I wouldn't be surprised if a few did decide to dip their toe in the water and see, see how much money they could make at this business. I was going to ask you about the auto, and I'm glad you brought that up. The other question I had was just on products liability. You're the wood expert, but the you know you've got so much of this young wood that's being used in construction now, and it's not nearly as strong as the old virgin wood. So is that creating any particular problems from a product liability standpoint for wood product manufacturers? And let's just talk about pine for a second. Uh, you'd need to talk to some of the growers who, who I think would tell you that one of the things that concerns them is is the push for rapid growth trees, the structural integrity of which has been called into question versus the old growth, as you'd mentioned. And on the pine side, products liability is always much more difficult than on the hardwood side because the amount of pine used in home construction, used in habitational construction, used in scaffolding, used in a lot of areas that just lend themselves more to hazardous use than hardwood. Uh, products liability for accounts like that is difficult to place. Wood traders Products liability on wood treaters is increasingly difficult. 
one of the things that companies look at, you know, if you're a pine lumber manufacturer, they'll take that into consideration versus hardwood. If you're a wood treater, pallet manufacturers on the product side really aren't much of a problem. But uh, on the property side, pallet manufacturers right now are much more difficult to place than, say, your average sawmill. Oh, that's interesting. Now, you also write mobile home manufacturers, and I don't know if you write a lot of those, but that's one of the things that you you have on your website. Now, those can potentially have some environmental exposures due to formaldehyde that's used in some of the manufacturing processes and that you know, formaldehyde can be around for a while. Are you offering any environmental coverage on risk like the mobile home companies, mobile home manufacturers? I don't think you'll find anyone right now in an MGA or MGU capacity who's going to be able to offer a, a lot of coverage on that kind of risk. You're going to have to go to the ENS market to find coverage for pollution, for formaldehyde exposures, for, for other exposures of that sort. And it's difficult. We can find it. We can do it. But it's, uh, it's a lot more difficult than would be the case if they didn't have that exposure. Before we close out, Dean Connor, is there anything else that you want to you tell the audience? You know, I do want to get to what an agent needs to do uh, to do business with KDP and the best way to contact you. But before we get there, anything else that you want to say? Yeah, I would say that if somebody hasn't ever written a sawmill before, to not let that dissuade them from trying. We have some resources that we can share. The people who run sawmills, they're everyday people, and I'm sure they would appreciate somebody showing interest in what they're doing and seeing if there's a way that they could write their insurance cheaper. Just because it's something that you haven't really explored before, don't let that dissuade you and they're really good people. A lot of the people, a lot of the brokers for whom we write insurance may have a large book of business with one sawmill account. And so, so they come to us to help them with the sawmill. The majority of our accounts are written with brokers who actually only represent, say, two or three sawmills or, or lumber manufacturers or wood products accounts in their entire book. So it's not unusual to to find yourself in the situation which Connor just mentioned. So in closing, what does an agent need to do to do business with KDP to access your forest and wood products division? Y'all can just email me, ecp at kdpinsurance.com, and we'll let you know exactly which forms we need for an application and, and what we'd be looking for in a submission. And uh, our website is www.kdpinsurance.com. And we have a lot of information on there as well. From a paperwork standpoint, they would just need, the agent would just need to provide a W-9 and, you know, whatever your broker application is. Yeah, we have a standard brokerage agreement. We need that. We need their, their license information. And it would all be spelled out clearly in the brokerage agreement. We're an open brokerage company. And anyone who doesn't have an agreement with us can come to us, submit a risk. And then as we work on that risk, we would send them the brokerage agreement and ask them to complete it. Okay. Well, thanks, Dee. Thanks, Connor. Thank you. Thank you both very much. Thanks for listening to this edition of Charlie's Corner, brought to you by Iroquois Group. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join us for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast.